if you can go out and you can buy 40 acres of land for $4,000, $5,000, and then flip it for three times that, that's a huge ROI that a lot of people can wrap their head around and, and can come up with four or $5,000. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate, from co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on all my deals, basically. So this month, I'm giving away a property tour guide. This document will walk you through the process of touring a property, what to look for, and what to ask when you tour an apartment building. You can find the guide at www.elliepearlman.com slash resources. So if you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. Okay, so our guests today are, there's two of them, Adam Southie and Justin Sleva. Adam and Justin are co-hosts of the Casual Friday REI podcast and specialize in raw land investing. Adam is the CEO of Rural Land HQ. Justin is a founding partner of Land Mule and the principal of Plum Investment Group. So while they both have different ways of running their businesses, which you know makes their podcast very interesting, their mutual passion is active land investing. Adam and Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Ellie, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the first time that I'm actually hosting two people at a time. So I'm pretty excited to see how, you know, that's going to go. But, you know, we, I read a little bit about your bio. Can you just tell me and the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, I'm gonna let Justin go because if I go first, he's gonna he's gonna tell you a lie. So I'm gonna <laughs> let him tell his story and then I'll come in. So me and Adam have been friends for 20 years and we've owned a couple businesses together. We actually had an Amazon company that we had three first page products and, you know, living the side hustle dream that everybody's, oh, we have this Amazon company. I was an executive for a railroad. Adam saw this land investing thing, comes to me and says, hey man, we need to liquidate the Amazon business and buy land. I said, great, we're going to do it together. He said, no, we're going to not do it together. I want to do it myself. And so he's going to try to to deny that fact. So he goes, but you should do it too. So he came back with some property and I got super excited about it, saw how excited he was. And Four years later, almost four years later, here we are co-hosting a podcast together about how to, uh, following our journey, but also how to buy and sell raw land. Yeah. So now that he's done lying to you, I'll tell you what really happened. So, <laughs> so I've been in real estate off and on for about 15 years. I did it full time for close to 10 years, but we did have, we had an Amazon business together I, and I've done everything. I've bought homes, I've been a realtor, I've built houses, you name it, I've done it. When the market crashed, I ended up going to work for Justin on the railroad. And the whole time, all I could think about is how does I get back into real estate? And so we had this side hustle going on. And I came across land investing. And it sounded amazing to me. Someone was talking about buying land, acres of land for 100 bucks an acre. And it was perfect 
That's all the money I had at the time. So I did go back to him. I was like, hey, I need more money. Let's liquidate the business. I'm going to go do land investing on my own. So what You're is- more than welcome to join me, but he didn't want to do it. And, and- <laughs> That's not what happened. You said that the question was specific. Are we doing this together? You said, no, I'm doing it by myself. So as you see, we've spent a lot of time with each other and we're really comfortable in that fact. But the end of the story is we've both grown over the last four years in our own journey using the asset class of raw land. And since then, we've moved into multifamily, some, some single family, but land is where our heart is. Yeah, so I, I, we'll go with that story. That sounds good. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. Where do you guys live? Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, we're in Fort Worth. In Fort Worth, okay. And where do you buy lands? Anywhere that there's raw land. Yeah, we've uh, done deals in 38 states right now. Oh, wow, okay. So, so, yeah. so, so really, let's, let's talk about land a little bit. What's your definition of raw land? And it might sound, you know, like uh, maybe a silly question, but when you're looking for a land to buy, what are your requirements? What, what's raw land? So we have our course out. What we talk about in our course is buying a bass boat property. A bass boat property is something that person that can go out and buy a, a bass boat, a Harley Davidson, you know, an RV, that kind of idea, that recreational piece of property that's not developed, or it doesn't have any improvements on it, that it runs about that thirty dollars to $40,000 market value. We go in and we try to buy it about 30 cents on a dollar. And transactionally, we go in and offer that with blind offers after we find their names from the county. So we'll say, hey, and somewhere Tennessee, we want to know everybody that owns 20 to 100 acres of unimproved vacant land. We'll send them a blind offer at 30 cents on a dollar, 25 cents on a dollar. They contact us back and said, yeah, I'm interested. And then we go from there and we list it for that guy that's looking or that girl that's looking for that cabin property off grid. And we sell that dream. Yeah. So it's typically land that's outside of the big city. There's, we both mostly buy large acreage, 20 acres and above. There's trees. It could be good for hunting, camping, off-grid living, you name it. But it's not so much in a subdivision where everyone's houses are. It's, it's recreational land. Got it. And, and why raw land? I mean, there's so many other asset classes out there. You have single family homes and multifamily and mobile home parks and you know everything actually. Why raw land? Well, I think what the allure to most people is that it's really affordable if you know what you're doing, right? You know how to go buy it. So we've purchased many pieces of land where we only paid a hundred bucks an acre. So if you can go out and you can buy 40 acres of land for $4,000, $5,000 and then flip it for three times that, that's a huge ROI that a lot of people can wrap their head around and, and can come up with four or $5,000. But then also you can own or finance it. You can get, take all your money back on a down payment. Let's say you bought it for four or 5,000, you take a four or $5,000 down payment. And you own or finance it out two fifty, three fifty a month for the next five to ten years, and now you've got straight cash flow. And there's no house, there's no plumbing, there's no AC that goes out, so it's just straight cash in your pocket every month. Interesting. So you actually mentioned a couple of different strategies, and that's kind of a good segue to our, our strategy part. You said basically one strategy is to kind of flip it, right? You buy a land and then on, you know, 20, 30 cents on a dollar and then flip it and sell it for, for a higher, you know, price. And the other strategy just to buy and hold. So with the first strategy, how, you know, if you buy it for 20 cents on a dollar, why would anyone buy it for a higher price? Well, since we're dealing with off market properties, we're going straight to the owners and they may not know they want to sell or they don't know how to sell. And the good thing for us that institutional investors kind of help us in this because if you go to a bank to get raw, vacant, recreational land lending, they typically at, at best are going to do 50 cents on a dollar for you. So there's not much institutional money out, which helps the buy and hold strategy you talked about. So it all kind of lays into each other. So we go in, 
they don't want to deal with a real estate agent. We say, hey, we're going to give you cash. If it was passed down to them or they're out of state owners, so they have no emotional attachment to it. So let's, one of my favorite deals is I had a guy and we'll call it Oklahoma. His dad passed away and his dad left him 40 acres. And I send him a letter and said, hey, I'd like to buy your 40 acres. And I've offered him $15,000 for it. He goes, man, I need a new camera for my business. I've never been out there. My dad planted a bunch of trees when I was a kid out there. I know nothing about it. But that 15 grand really helps my family. So he gets cash in three days. He signs the deed. I've got the property. I list it with a broker there. The broker has a buyer in three more days and I owner finance a note for $70,000. Wow. So he gives me $10,000 down and 700 a month on out for the remainder of the term. So why people don't know how to find it. And so, but you also have the, the paper. So the buy and hold strategy, it's not necessarily hold because we're selling it, but we're holding the paper behind it too at an increased value. Interesting. It is an interesting concept. Yeah. So a lot of times we're looking for an opportunity like that because we know how to market. We're finding those people who inherited the land, people who live out of state, people who bought it so long ago, they haven't been to it. Then you also have the aspect on some of this land, like, you know, we're kind of in this niche, buy for 10, sell for 30. Well, some of these properties where the market value is 20,000, 30,000, realtors just don't want to mess with it. They don't want to sell it at that price. Or if it's very rural, there might not be a ton of realtors out there. And so if you don't know how to sell your own property, then you have no other choice but to find someone that wants to buy from you. And how do you decide which land is good for one strategy or the other? That's a great question. It's not that we go one way or the other. We offer the terms as we see fit on every deal. So if I go in and buy a property and I say, hey, it's listed for $30,000, I go ahead and let them know what the down payment was if I'm going to hold the paper. And if they can bring their own cash, they'll make us a cash offer or come down and try to discount it. So we allow different opportunities or exit strategies on each property. So it's not we don't go one way or the other at the beginning. It's open to both. So we actually, I guess, provide financing for those who are interested. Interesting. Interesting. So you, you basically, you tailor the strategy based on the circumstances and, you know, maybe demand and whatever you think is, is the best approach for that land. I want to move and talk about the process a little bit. You've mentioned earlier how you basically, you, you go to the county, you find all the vacant lands and then you reach out to the owners. Can you talk a little bit more about that process from basically from beginning to end? What are the, the, the different steps that you're taking? Yeah, that's, that's great. So we look at the active market value. So if we said, and, I, and I'll kind of start very at the first, walking into it, we're going to do this whole process real quick for you. So if I say, hey, I'm Justin, I'm, I'm a land investor. So I'm looking for my next market. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to shop. I'll use Tennessee. I used them earlier. So I'll just use the same state. I pull up and I say, I want to buy something that's in the 30 to $50,000 market value. So I pull up the current market and I, you have free websites that you can do that with like Lands of America, Land Watch. And you say, okay, hey, this area has stuff that is on the market for 30 to $50,000. Then we go, we use a service that allows us to, it's a first American title service that we can pull all the county data from the assessor and we build our own list. So we don't go to a list service. We actually build our own list, scrub it down, meaning that we pull out bad data, like bad addresses, things like that. And then we send them a blind offer. We use a third-party company that mails it out for us. They do it extremely cheap, better than we could by licking stamps and envelopes. And so we'll send out between 1,000 and 2,000 blind offers at one time. And we know what our strike rate should be. And so we send that out. They call us back through our answering service. We, we call them back if they're interested. We do a little bit of due diligence on the, on the front side that says, hey, is there access? Do they actually own a property? 
Is it worth what we thought it was worth or is it worth more or less? And then we walk into that conversation by starting that negotiation on the low end with the blind offer. So, you know, I know I'm buying multifamily properties and I know that if I'm looking at a certain property, I have other comps, other, you know, properties in the area with similar, you know, amenities and similar vintage. And I know, okay, if this property is worth or was sold two months ago for, you know, I don't know, $80,000 a door, then I know that this is sort of how much this should cost. And of course, it's not that simple. You have cap rates and you you take the the price, you know, and calculate the cap rate and, and the net operating income. But the point is that I do have other properties that I can compare to and understand what is the price that I can afford that makes sense to buy this property. How do you do that with a raw land? How do you know what is, what's the value of the land? So in the process, you can basically say, hey, we can, when you say 30 cents on the dollar, but what's the dollar value, I mean, the, the dollar amount that this land is worth? Yeah. So like Justin said, like when we start in Tennessee and you go to certain websites, like the Lands of America websites, right? We pick a county. We always start with an area, typically at the county level, and then we'll that will show us everything that's been sold or everything that is available in that county. And so what you're looking for is kind of consistent to see there. You'll see that all 20 acre properties tend to go for 20,000 or 30,000. You get a good idea when you look at enough websites or if there's enough data, you'll have 10, 20 comps where you'll see 20 to 25 acre properties all range from 20,000 to 25, 30,000. You get a really good idea right there so that you know if you take 30% of that, 35% of that, and you mail the whole county that you've got a pretty good idea of what property is worth there. Interesting. And what would you say is your success rate? So out of, I don't know, a thousand letters that you're sending, how, how many owners are actually getting back to you? Out of that thousand, we're probably going to get about 15 to 20 that are like positive returns. But out of that thousand, we're probably going to buy one to two properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, his his is different because right. I look at it. I, we look at a little bit different class of property. We look at little different areas because our exit strategy is a little bit different. But usually, for me, about one for seven hundred and fifty, I buy a property. And that means closed all the way through that I know is going to make at least fifteen thousand dollars. So if I keep that number going and we scale with that, it's a scalable number for me. So I know exactly what I'm doing and where I'm at. It's interesting. His is going to be a little bit lower uh, number than that. Higher. Higher. Yeah. So, so typically what happens, it always seems to be like this. It's every time you mail out a thousand, fifteen hundred offers, the first 20 or 30 of phone calls are going to be people calling you to asking if you're crazy. Yeah. yeah I, know, I bought this property for $20,000 and you want to buy from me from 2000. You've lost your mind, get lost, right? You get through those or you have an answering service that does it right It's the first time, the very first time it happens, you kind of like, whoa, you, but then you shake it off because the very next call is someone accepting your offer, right? And so for me and my business, I know if I send 1,500 offers, I'm going to buy somewhere between four and seven properties. That just seems to be, I mean, almost every time if you do it right. You're going to get a range yeah. of phone calls and emails. It's, it runs the gamut. So that 1,500 calls, when you said, how what's your response rate? Like, well, about 10% of those are calling us back, but most of those aren't very good calls. And I've been told some pretty creative stuff. Like I should tear the offer up and me and my wife should have fun with them. together. <laughs> <laughs> so just trying to keep it PC for you. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you get, you know, a very interesting range of responses and you learn, I think using an answering service is great because that can really help you scale instead of, you know, answering random phone calls or not really random, but phone calls that will lead you nowhere just because someone wants to 
explain to you how insulting, you know, quote unquote, your offer was, that can really, you know, that that's a good advice to use if you're doing that, if you're trying to get an off market, you know, deal just to get an answering service to help you with, you know, screening basically all the the calls so you don't have to talk to those who are not never going to sell it to you anyways. So how long does it take from the moment someone says, yes, I'm interested, I'm accepting your offer, or, you know, I want to negotiate? How long does it usually take between that point and the point that you're the proud owner of raw land? There's two different ways we can close. So with a lot of real estate investors don't realize that you can handle a direct closing with a potential seller. So you know, you don't go through title and you don't get title insurance. 98% of my properties go through title and title insurance. It takes and get title insurance. And it takes about anywhere from 14 to days to 30 days with them. But a direct close, I usually hi I can hire a notary, overnight them a cashier's check and the deeds for them to sign. They go meet the person, deliver the cashier's check and have the deeds and everything signed. They send it back to me and we can be conveyed to us. The quickest I've ever done it is 12 hours, but typically a notary close is about four days and we have that taken care of and conveyed. Yeah. So it really just depends on what you want to do. I mean, if you're buying it right and you're due, when you're due diligence, which by the time someone accepts it, you can start your due diligence and be done in an hour or so. Right. But it really depends on what you want to do from there. If you feel comfortable, the deed chain of title looks good. You can just hire a notary and close it yourself in half a day to four days. Right. Or you can go through a title company, get title insurance, and then you're looking at a few weeks from there. So it, it really just depends. And when you say that you're doing due diligence, I mean, I know from my experience, it takes weeks to do, you know, to bring an assessor, which in New York is you don't need, but to bring someone to check that there's no environmental issues. And that that process is, is pretty long. How are you able to close so quickly? Aren't there any, you know, environmental issues? I mean, because otherwise you can just buy a land and then discover that, wait a minute, this land, you know, underneath their, their ancient, you know, graves and you can't do anything with it. So how do you deal with that? So the, the great thing with today's world is we get to leverage technology. And there's so many different industries that use similar technologies, oil and gas. You know, look at Google Earth for just that, just that symbol of a free tool that's out there. We can zoom in because we get the Latin longitude of the property when we pull our parcel software. So we know exactly where the property is, its boundaries. We can drop it into Google Earth. We zoom in. They have the time-lapse feature. So you can go back in time, back to 99 and see what it's done over the last 20 years. So if you see, it's been pretty consistent, you know, treed, they, sometimes you'll see the tree leaves come off because it's different times of year, the satellite goes by. You have a pretty good idea what's going on with it. And most of this is recreational land. It's not in a place where somebody started to develop something or put a gas station and pulled out the tanks. You don't see that because you can look to the chain of title and say, these are the people that have owned it. So it wasn't like a scrapyard or a, a chemical company or something like that. You do have... I guess a, a minuscule risk on could there have been a family grave that you didn't see? And I have sent an offer out and the guy goes, well, that's our family grave. And he told me up front, he goes, I don't know that you want it. And I was like, nope, don't want it. I want y'all to have it. So, but there, there's, that would be about the, the worst of it right then. Yeah. Really the thing that comes back the most is just access. That's one of the, mm -hmm. we have to have access to buy the property so that our clients can get to it when they go to it. You'd be amazed how much land is out there that has no access and people have bought it before because now they're trying to sell it to us. But for us uh, individually, I mean, it's got to have really good access. And all you got to do, like you said, I mentioned a GIS software. We have this parcel software that you put the county in, you put the APN number of the land and just pops up and it's outlined. You can see exactly where it's at, how, what the shape of the property is and if there's a road to it. 
Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you hire people? Do you have hire a team to check, you know, do all the preliminary, you know, examination of the land and then bring it to you once, you know, it passes a certain threshold or do you look at everything yourself? So for me, it's either me or one of my transaction coordinators take care of it. But what we do is the person calls our answering service, answering services, hey, this person's interesting in selling. This is, you know, they agree to your price or no, they want to counter with this. We take that and we look at that property. We pull up the, the parcel of it. We check to make sure it has access, where it's at, make sure the topography isn't too crazy. Like you, it's not a side of a cliff because I have gotten that back where it's 20 acres, but it's a cliff. And you're like, oh, I can't do anything with that. And then we check the value, check the actual current market solds and listed right. We, we can get down to the property and everything within a quarter mile, half mile, five miles of it. So we know it has value. From that point, it goes out to due diligence. And while it's doing that, whether it's a title, we hire somebody to go out with a drone and they can fly it around. It costs us 200 bucks. They give us a full video, then they'll go ahead and edit that and get pictures. So we have pictures from overhead that are going to be some of our marketing material. If we're using a broker and we have a good relationship with them in that area, call the broker. Hey, go out there and take a look at that. Tell me what you think. I want you to, this is going to be your listing. So they're, they're on your team at that point. So you're, you're kind of leveraging a technology, leveraging people that specialize in those crafts for one-off things, but you start to build your teams in different areas because I told you 37, 38 states this year, you know, you kind of have to be all over the place. And so you can't hire some guy that says, Hey, he's my superintendent of land acquisitions and he's flying around the country. It wouldn't be cost beneficial. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like it's just so easy, but you can find people to go do these things. Like put an ad on Craigslist. Hey, I'm paying 50 bucks. Someone drive out here and take a photo with it. Mm -hmm. I need to see what it really looks like or Facebook marketplace, Facebook marketplace. Right. So it's not like we have an individual team that works for us. That's traveling all over the country, looking at this stuff. I mean, if we can pull it up on our maps, on GIS, on Google earth, on Google maps or whatever, and we see it's flat, it's got, or it's not, it's got good attributes. It's got access. We go back in time. Nothing crazy's happened to it. Chain of title looks good. I mean, chances, and we're buying it right. The comp, it comps right. Well, then it's most of the time it's a go for us. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What would be, so before we move to the lightning round questions, what was the craziest story that you have, you know, a really interesting deal that, that you were involved with when it comes to, you know, buying raw land? So we could probably go good or bad on this one. I'm going to go with good and stay keep positive because we've had some interesting <laughs> bad ones. But good one is I sent this letter out and it was say in March. Well, October, I get this call from a guy in California and he says, hey, uh, I sent you a letter a while back. I, I haven't heard back from you. Are you still interested in buying this piece of property from me? And it was 135 acres in Oklahoma. And I go, uh, I said, I haven't gotten a letter from you. He goes, well, let me resend it one. But he kind of told me, we kind of talked on the phone. We'll pull it up. It's 135 acres. I'm buying it for $50,000. Grandfather had bought it for his son who left it to his three sons. And it's, so it's third generation now. When his dad passed away, he went out there. So it was like 2004 when he went out there and he goes, man, it's nothing but junk. And there's an old rickety oil well on it. So they had been leasing it to the neighbor for four generations as well. The neighbor, when I went out there to go look at the property, he'd been paying the taxes. So I knew who he was and he lived, he was contiguous to it. So I pulled up to the house Well, I walk up to go knock on his door and talk to him and he pulls a gun on me. And cause I'm, and we're in the middle of kind of nowhere, right? We're, and this guy doesn't know who I am. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did I, do I need to have a gun too? Cause it's in the truck, but I, I didn't know this kind of party we're having. He's laughed. He goes, no, no, what's going on. And so I told him I was coming to look at the land for the family. And we looked at the land. Uh, he said, yeah, yeah, you're good. Go ahead. He goes, well, they told me I had first right of refusal if that thing ever got sold. And I was like, Hey, I, I'm just here for the family. I'd already bought the property at this point. He didn't know that he thought I was just there. And he goes, my 
kids may be interested in it. So I ended up selling it to a son for, we bought it for 48. I had to do some cleanup on the deed because of the couple deaths weren't handled correctly. And so I was in it for $52,000 and sold it to the son for like 135 or $140,000 within wow. a week. And so the son, but part of the deal, cause it was so far under market value at 140, I made him let me decide if I wanted to go hunt there. I had lifetime hunting rights on it to go as part of the deal. And he thought that was funny that I asked, I'm never going to go, but I just thought it was one of those negotiation things. You, you think that they won. And I just wanted to give a little more to see if I could get it. Oh, and, you have to go. To you have to go yeah. at least once but, to say, Hey, <laughs> just go once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, that was, that was a, you know, one of those things for me, we love generational land and it shows that you can, you know, if you're in it, right. Like we said, we buy it right. And we sold it to him at a discount, but he's still excited about it. He's still happy mm -hmm. uh, that he got this and his family now has an extra 135 acres to their 600 acres they had right next to it. Wow. That's a good story. All right, cool. Well, we reached to our last part, which is the lightning round questions. Adam, maybe we will start with you. So oh, I was going to let Justin go first. Uh, <laughs> that way he can, he can struggle and I'll, I'll be thinking. We can but do that as well. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. We'll be fine. All right. So Adam, what's your favorite hobby? I'm a big CrossFit guy. I, I'm one of those guys that's all into CrossFit. I've been doing it for just over five years now. Coached in my spare time in the mornings about three years now. It's uh, probably one of my favorite things to do. Nice, nice. Justin? Okay, so we're, I thought you were going to give us each individual questions. Uh, right now, I've been kicked back into BMX. My son, I, I've coached baseball for my son, but I used to race BMX when I was a teenager, and he's six, and he started to want to race, so and he couldn't fit on a motocross bike, so we put him on a BMX bike, and so we've started doing that together, so that's been a lot of fun for us. But we, we stay extremely active between working out, hiking, and BMX. Cool. How old is your son? I've got twins that are six, a boy and a girl. And then I have a uh, 17 month old boy. Oh, wow. All right. Congratulations, yeah. I guess. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Cool. Next question. What's the one thing that people don't know about you, Adam? That is also a good question. I would say if you don't, if you just met me now, you wouldn't know that when I was 18, I was uh, ranked sixth in the world for karate. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had known in 20 years and I didn't know it was ranked sixth in the world. Yeah. Karate. You should so be careful here. <laughs> yeah. I have two black belts. Uh, I went to one place, got my black belt. That place closed down. So I went to a new school and they made me start all over. I got to wear my black belt, but under their eyes, I had to start all over. So I got my black belt there. At the same time, I was on the Team Texas, traveling the country, competing, and then got ranked sixth in the world. Wow. That's very impressive. Yeah. a long time ago. I'm old now, though. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll wrestle him down if he tries. He doesn't like to be touched either. <laughs> Justin, so what's uh, the one thing that people don't know about you? One thing somebody wouldn't know about me is that I'm actually, I was up until the last two years ago, I was qualified to run a locomotive and I had been qualified from Kansas through Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana to run a, a train locomotive over that territory. Interesting. So we, yeah, we often talk about me being, you know, working for the railroad and being a manager there. But before that, I was actually an engineer. You were an engineer before that. Yeah, on a train. With, oh, on a train. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see those big trains that keep you uh, up at night or stop uh, at crossings? Yeah, I stopped at crossings for 20 minutes. Justin was the one driving those. <laughs> All right. So, Adam, what do you wish you had known when you just started out? <laughs> it's not always like social media wants you to portray, right? You're not going to come out and make your first $100,000 your first month, right? Real businesses take time to develop mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if it takes you a year, two years, three years, just keep going and, and keep working and building the process and it'll eventually happen for you. 
All right, Justin. That's a that's a really good one. Uh, for me, is the the action part, and I'm not one that's adverse action. I wish I would have known that you can get involved and just start learning something. So, like for our niche with land, you wouldn't have thought that I've turned that into single family, multifamily outside of that. So when I said, "Hey, blind offers," we did this with land. Well, I was, I'm the, the type that now my confidence level is like, "Hey, I could do that for an apartment building." And so I've sent letter of intent blind with blind offers on it on in three different markets and always scored properties back. So it's the action part, getting over the the lack of self-confidence in oneself and just actually taking action and moving forward. Got it. All right. What's your number one advice to a real estate investor who wants to scale her or his business? Yeah, pretty much what I just said, like get going, don't stop, don't overanalyze things, make stuff happen and keep going, keep moving forward, keep learning and going. Yeah, mine, mine would be the same, but I'd also echo provide value for people that you want to help. Like you want to help you learn. They always use the cliche, your network is your net worth. And that's true to a point, but so many people want their hand out to ask for free advice versus saying, hey, can I get involved? And maybe can I be an intern in, in, in this deal with you and just kind of help do busy work, but I want to learn while you're going through it. And that's a piece that's often missed by a bunch of a newer investors. And, and that's I think that's important that you have to add value to that for asking that help. Yep. That, that's a very good advice. All right, Adam and Justin, thank you so much for being on the show today. If people want to reach out to you and learn more about, you know, multifamily investing or raw land investing, where can they find you? Yeah. Casual Fridays, REI. We've got a podcast comes out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we've got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We're pretty much all over the place. It's Casual Fridays, REI. All right. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, thank Ellie. you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.